You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to the fruity but never snooty beauties and cutie patooties, possibly from Djibouti. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 49. And of course, I'm your humble host, Karen. And we are your procession of proactive, prolific pros providing pros about prostate. What? <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. And today's episode is brought to you by Bonobos, the online destination for awesome men's wear. And fellas, if you're like our own Chris Kotler, mm. uh, who's planning on getting married this year, Bonobos just recently unveiled their wedding shop. So affordable, sharp, and versatile suit options for your big day and beyond. Yeah. I can't wait until Bonobos tells us who you're going to be marrying. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Brain listeners and customers can get 20% off using the code SMARTYPANTS. Or you can actually work it into your wedding vows if you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like, Regina, I'm crazy for you. Just like you'd be crazy not to take advantage of this deal at Bonobos. <laughs> Baby, I just want to say you saved me. Just like you can save 20% on fashionable <laughs> menswear at Bonobos. See me at the reception for more. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, all right, let's jump into our general trivia segment. Pop quiz, hotshot. I got a random Trivial Pursuit card, and you guys have your barnyard buzzers ready. Here we go. Blue Wedge for Geography. What snack is called a Cachorro Quente in Portugal and a Perito Caliente in Spain? A hot dog. A hot dog. Oh, 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 oh <laughs> goodness. Caliente. Good job, Dana. Yeah. All right. Pink Wedge for Pop Culture. What athlete smooched with Enrique Iglesias in his escape video? Dana again. Anna Kornikova. Anna Kornikova. Uh And not just smooch. It's a a pretty heavy makeout session. Well, that was one of the things they did. (laughs) (laughs) That was all they could show in the video. on the list. They are going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Yellow Wedge. What European auto company was the first to equip its cars with standard seatbelts in 1959? Oh, this is a good trivia question. I'm going to guess Mercedes. Incorrect. Mm, I have a second guess. Not yeah. German, actually. Yeah, I have a second guess. Whoa. Chris? Ferrari. Incorrect. I don't know. Is it Volvo? Yes, it yeah. is Volvo. Huh. Those are kind of like the one and two in terms of car safety innovations, uh. I think. Green Wedge for science. What's the three-letter abbreviation for glutamic acid separated from its protein source? Colin? Is it MSG? Yes, it is MSG. Ah, Monosodium glutamate. Yep. All right, last question. Orange Wedge, what was the first team in NBA history to go through the playoffs without a road loss? Uh, without a road Get it before Colin. The Bulls. Oh, yeah, sorry. it's probably... I, I, it is I, not the Bulls. Huh. The LA Lakers? Correct. Yeah, it okay. is. Lakers, Bulls, or Celtics. It's going to be one of those. Los yeah. Angeles Lakers. Good hmm. job, brains. So this week, we'll be talking about something we all love to do, which is laugh. Make them laugh. Make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? <laughs> my dad said be an actor, my son. But be a comical one, they'll be standing in lines for those old honky-tonk monkey shines. Now you could study Shakespeare and be quite elite, and you could charm the critics and have nothing to eat. Just slip on a banana peel, the world's at your feet. Make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh. All right. Well, talking about humor and comedy, at least in the U.S., so much of comedy has its roots in vaudeville. It's hard to describe just what a phenomenon vaudeville was at the time. And I'm not even if, too sure what vaudeville is. Yeah, I, so I, is you may theater? not. Yeah, I mean, you may have it's. Well, I know it's sort of old timey theater, right? Um, yeah, but yeah. You vaudeville, imagine like two guys up on stage like throwing pies in each other's faces, and, um, <laughs> and you would absolutely see those things in a vaudeville performance, right? Sure, a lot of yep. hacky humor and a lot of physical comedy was part of it. But yeah, so vaudeville it refers to 
to the theater performances, a lot of which were touring performances from about the 1880s until the 1930s in America. And it was like clean. It was like the whole goal of it was clean, family friendly, just middle class, not crass and crude or overtly sexual or dirty or anything like that. But the term itself sounds French, right? Vaudeville. Vaudeville. Oh. Um, so I want to talk just a little bit about some of the vaudeville terms. There's a little debate about where the word itself comes from, but it, it definitely is French. Some people say it comes from vaudeville, a style of satire songs. Hmm. Some people say it may come from voix de ville, voice of the city or songs of the city. Huh. The vaudeville style had a very specific meaning in, in France and Europe and has really no connection to its meaning in America. Huh. Uh, so the first use of vaudeville in America, uh, this, you know, we can agree on goes back to 1871 and so one of the touring companies was Sargent's Great Vaudeville Company of Kentucky. It generally seems to be that <laughs> he really kind of just picked the name because it sounds fancy and sort of upper class and a little more uh, a little more refined than the saloon style humor. So it just sort of lent a little bit of air of refinement to it. Mm -hmm. Now that said, there was what we would call a lot of lowbrow humor in it today. You know, just slapstick humor and fighting and pies in the face. But it wasn't just comedy. I mean it would be like a variety act. There were singers and, and dancers and jugglers. It was like theater for the common man, essentially, exactly. right? Like it wasn't it wasn't super highbrow, it was an opera, you know. It wasn't was, highbrow, but it wasn't yeah. lowbrow. It was definitely right. just middle right. class, middle brow. They would come through, you know. It was like were, sitcoms. It was were. like coming to go yeah. to a theater to watch a sitcom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, or like any of these numerous variety shows on TV that we have now. So I'm imagining kind of like Saturday Night Live, but on tour. You know, it's it's less like Saturday Night Live. It's more like, you know, America's Got Talent, or I think there's the Britain's oh. Got Talent as well. Where it's it's about the variety, you know. You really would have comedy act right up against a juggler, right up against mm -hmm. you know got some it, some drama it. or some melodrama. Um, but mm. they would have skits, you know, and they would have oh. st stock character types that you would see from different shows. Mm. Even though it was all about variety, I think it says a lot that when you look at the most famous names to come out of vaudeville, they're almost all comedians now, like the Marx Brothers uh -huh. and the Three Stooges mm -hmm. and Milton Berle and George Burns, Burns and Allen, you know, Bob Hope, W. C. Fields. I mean, on and on and on. All these like classics that we associate with like film and TV now, they really got their start in vaudeville. So there's a lot of awesome terminology that Ooh. comes out of the vaudeville era. So yes. I just want to sort of focus on this for a little bit. Even if they didn't originate directly in vaudeville, this is really where they got their popularized. Yeah, yeah, at least in America. Um, and some of these I think we've talked about on the show before. So you guys know what a pratfall is, right? We've talked about the prat. Pratfall before. Right. It's yeah. The butt. The butt. Prat was just a word for butt. So pratfall is you fall on your butt. That would be, again, just a staple of vaudeville <laughs> comedy performance. Because oh, it's got to yeah. be big and broad, and it's got to, you know, play to the back of the house, and it's, yep. it's short. Slapstick. The term slapstick directly comes from American vaudeville. And do you guys know what a slapstick is? Uh, is it a stick you slap someone yeah. with? Oh, oh. Is it like like a sound effect if you're hitting someone and some dude will slap a couple sticks so it sounds like fighting? Wow, like that is hit? awesome. You guys together, you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. It, it is. I mean, in its simplest term, it's just like two big flat sticks. They're kind of fastened together. So when you smack it, it makes a big just smack yeah, sound. Okay. Huh. But in addition to just being used to hit people, it got a lot <laughs> of use as an offstage sound effect, as sure. you said, Karen. Yep. So like somebody would do a pratfall and mm. somebody off on the side of the stage would whack the slapstick. Yeah. So it really kind of just accentuates and hits the note. You guys know what a ham is? Yeah. You talk about someone being a ham. Yeah, like an overactor. Yeah, yeah, like an overactor or, you know, a really bad actor. And everyone can agree that it comes from the word a ham fatter. That guy is such a ham fatter. And it has the, <laughs> it has the same connotation it does today. Okay. Like, he's a hack or he's kind of just overdoing it, kind yeah. of cheesy. So there are two explanations for ham fatter. And one explanation, now again, the more dubious they are, the less likely they are. So the first explanation I read for ham, and oh, ham comes from ham fatter because the lower tier actors couldn't afford cold cream. <laughs> so they had to use ham fat to remove their stage makeup. Uh, that's weird. Yeah, it's a little no, weird. Yeah, so I, I looked into this a little a little more. It seems a lot more likely that there was an old minstrel show song called The Ham Fat Man. And uh -huh. the speculation is that it may kind of just come to be associated with like, if you're someone singing The Ham Fat Man, it's kind of a hacky thing to do. Okay. That okay. seems to be a lot more likely to me since it predates than the, than yeah. the, the, the spread pork fat all over their face. <laughs> well, soap is made out of fat though. Yeah, I bet it does. Probably. I bet it, I bet I it, it works. I bet it, I bet it would work pretty well. Yeah. When we talk about comedians doing blue material, you guys know what that means, right? Yeah. Um, no. Raunchy. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard. Oh. We don't work blue on Good Job right yeah. now. 
We get the explicit I've tag. I've never heard of this expression yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, to work on a little blue. Yeah, it's, you know, either just yeah. you know, just outright cursing or mm-hmm. sex jokes or, you know, just Why is it toilet humor. blue? Well, so it's a really good question. So we've talked before on the show, I think, about blue laws. And there oh. is there is an old term, blue laws, really, you know, about vice laws or... Public decency? Public decency laws, yeah, exactly. And there is an explanation like, oh, they used to be printed on blue-tinted paper. And that's... Mm-hmm. There, really, there really is no evidence for that. What there is, though, is there evidence that in the days of vaudeville and we we know this for a fact from memoirs of vaudeville actors and actresses that if they would perform and cross the line, they would receive blue envelopes, basically scolding them and or fining them. Huh. You know, the whole goal of vaudeville was clean, family-friendly, and if you crossed the line mm-hmm. and started working a little too ribald or raunchy or sexy, mm-hmm. you would essentially get a blue envelope. And inside would be your punishment for whatever your Whoa. transgression was. That's like a sister of pink slip. You know, mm. The idea of the pink slip. All right. And then finally, the last you know, we talk about in, in showbiz in general is like, all right, I made it. Made the big time. That's, I always just assumed it's like, okay, just metaphorical. It makes total sense. Like, big time actually had a very specific meaning in vaudeville. If really? you were on the vaudeville circuit, you would talk about, there were the three tiers. There was the small time, which is you've got the lowest contract you can get, and you've got to play a lot more shows and not the most attractive theaters. There was the medium time, which is, you know, a little bit better wages, no more than a couple performances a day. And then there's the big time, which is the maximum possible pay level mm-hmm. in the biggest theaters, like, you know, in New York or Boston. Like, that's the big time. And it had a huh. very specific meaning that has kind of just carried through the rest of showbiz. And it's I, like headlining. They, yeah. Or, or prime yeah, time. Yeah. And I didn't know that it had that direct root in vaudeville. Yeah. So not just the comedy styling itself, but a lot of the language comes from the era that's of vaudeville. That's cool. So my sense of humor started with Mad Magazine. Yeah! I, I found, we were at a flea market when I was like, I don't know, I must have been like six or seven years old. I saw Mad Magazines and I thought that they were like dirty humor magazines, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I shouldn't be reading them because they were like adult. I started reading them, obviously. My dad came up, busted, caught reading these adult magazines. And uh, my dad was like, oh, do you want me to buy you those? And I'm just like... <gasps> <laughs> I, won't, I won't tell mom if you don't I know yeah exactly and I mean then I realized that they they were appropriate for me they were really cynical and they were really funny and, and what Mad Magazine was black and white newsprint comedy magazine that was by and large was illustrations it was an illustrated cartoon magazine each issue back in the day would be bookended by like movie parodies so they do yep. like these these really lengthy you know five to six page parodies of popular movies and then just fill it in with everything under the sun you know whether it was like funny poetry with illustrations it was a parody satire yeah, magazine right. that satirized the world around us and so the history of Mad Magazine or the way that Mad Magazine came to to be is really fascinating. I'm going to start us off with Max Gaines. Max Gaines, he was a salesperson at a printing company in the 1920s, 1930s. Whoa, um, that long ago? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But Max Gaines was one of the guys at this printing company who essentially they created the first American comic book. There had been some people who had taken newspaper comics and like reprinted them into what today like you would point to and, yeah, yeah, on a half sheet newsprint folded over, stapled with a color cover, the size and dimensions of what we would consider an American comic book. But they would put this in the newspaper. Essentially, what Gaines and the other people at this printing company had done was they realized, oh man, we can take material and print it up like this in this format and actually sell it. And so they had created Famous Funnies, a carnival of comics, which is considered to be the first American comic book that oh. was that was like sold by itself as that product. And it's it not sold. based on any like existing franchise at all. It was, it was. It actually reprinted popular newsprint comic strips and things like that. But the key point here was that they were selling it by itself, right. uh, right. not right. just including it for free with a newspaper. And Max Gaines founded East comics or early on i think it was educational comics and then it was, <laughs> it was entertaining comics and what ec comics by the 1950s was very very popular for doing is ec comics did tales from the crypt oh. and all of those great old classic horror yeah, just the comics. really pulpy horror ones yep, yep. that were super popular 
and hated by religious groups and eventually the, the government. So the government basically, you know, had kind of started looking at comic books as like potentially corrupting children, which is why they established the Comics Code Authority, which was actually overseen by a judge. Yeah. Like it was this really kind of weird quasi-governmental, not really organization. And a lot of the major comics companies, they lined up behind it and they were like, oh, we're going to clean up our act. We're not going to sell horror and gore and grotesque sort of things to, to kids. Well, I mean, they were kind of cowed into it. I mean, they were they were bullied oh, yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't that they necessarily believed in the mission, but they didn't want sort of puritanical rights police. Yeah. What a yeah. different <laughs> this, world yeah. back then. Yeah. Man. But what ended up happening is this basically killed EC Comics because the other comic publishers were like, okay, okay fine, you win. We'll sanitize everything. We'll do superheroes. But EC didn't want to do that. EC ended up getting out of comics. So one of the other comics that EC was producing in the 50s was Mad. It was a It was a humor comic and it was at that point it was parodies of comics right and so they did so like, meta right so they did like bat boy and reuben and you know things, <laughs> things of that nature you know i mean it's really funny if you go back and read those old ones they eventually stopped producing comics altogether and what they did with mad it was a, a win-win situation because the editor of mad harvey kurtzman he's the guy who kind of created and wrote most of the first issue by 23 issues of it he had a job offer to go work at a humor magazine and he wanted to so they said no no no, stay here we'll change mad to a magazine right. so you can do a humor magazine because mm. that's what he really wanted wow. to do. Yeah, and also Mad then escaped the Comics Code Authority because it wasn't a comic anymore. It was a, it was magazine. a magazine. When again, it's so arbitrary, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so obviously, I mean, Mad Number 1 is worth a great deal of money and so is Mad Number 24, the first, you know, magazine. That is essentially the origin story of how Mad Magazine came into existence. A giant but, loophole. Yeah, yeah. Well, not loophole, but you a, know what a, I mean. a loophole and a, an odd set of circumstances. And I, I remember like reading about like comics history and a lot of the early comics guys, they really talk about Gaines and Kurtzman about being heroes for not giving in. They really still talk about them is like, wow, I mean, these guys stood up and they weren't going to be sort of yeah. pushed around. So by the time it was the Comics Code Authority issue, we're, we're talking about Max's son, Bill Gaines, right. William Gaines. Right. Who really uh, was, who was sort of the driving... Yeah, and he was the publisher. The and... memories are like flooding back right, in. Now right. I'm starting to remember all of this stuff from Mad Magazine. I love the back cover, folding the back cover. Yes. The fold-ins. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The fold-ins. Yeah, speaking about the fold-ins, that's done by Al Jaffe, who has mm -hmm. uh, been writing for Mad since 19... 1955. Amazing. Um, he created the fold-in in 64, and it has run in nearly every single issue of the magazine, always done by him since then. He's 91 now. That's incredible. And last I heard, still working. I mean, not to not to curse him, but yeah. I feel like his tombstone should be a fold-in. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's, he's probably, he's probably already sketched yeah. it. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the, brilliant. This, the story he tells is that he went to Bill Gaines and was just like, yeah, I've got this I've got this idea, but the problem is it mutilates the magazine. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, you, you showed him, you know, you fold the picture in. So the fold-in, we should explain, because a lot of younger people don't read Mad Magazine anymore. Basically, it was a, a picture, a drawn picture on the back page that presents a question, and then when you fold the picture upon itself, it, it's a different picture that the left and right hand sides meet to show a totally different image, and it's really cool. Now, so anyway, he went to him and it's like, well, it's, it's going to ruin the magazine. So he explained what a fold-in was. As the story goes, Bill Gaines was like, this is perfect. Do it. <laughs> I love have to it. buy two copies of the magazine, <laughs> of one to save and one to fold. <laughs> Here's the thing about Al Jaffe. The folding thing might not be the most interesting thing about him because well, a lot of people point out about him is because he, he did a lot of other features for the magazine. Yeah, sure. He did snappy answers to stupid questions. He also did a series about products we're going to use in the future, making fun of, you know, mm, the advancement mm -hmm, of technology mm -hmm. and things like that and like how decadent things are going to get. But in so doing, he actually predicted a whole lot of real products. What? Yeah, so here's a list of things that appeared first as an Al Jaffe parody in Mad Magazine before becoming real. Snowboarding. He predicted that people would take surfboards and surf down mountains, <laughs> uh, having to avoid trees and rocks and people. Wow! Yeah. He came up with the idea of multi-blade razors. Before there were multi-blade razors, sounded really dumb. Like, you know, a whole line full of razors right. that you shave your face Self-adhesive stamps. Mm. Before there were self-adhesive For people who are stamps. too lazy to lick the stamps. That's right, yeah. yes. Um, wow. He came up with what he called the idiot-proof typewriter. 
which had a bunch of memory tapes attached to it that contained all of the words in the English language and common grammatical uh, formulations so that when you were typing, it would automatically correct your spelling and your grammar. Uh, I love how, like, his take on all of these is just cynical, whereas opposed to people who actually invent them, it's like, I'm making humanity better. Right, right, right. (laughs) Last, not finally, but the last one I have on my list is he came up with the idea for the mute button on televisions. (laughs) He was like, wouldn't it be great if you had, like, a remote control that you could just press one button and it would stop the TV from being so, so noisy. I love it. That's yeah. great. Wow. Yep. Yeah, before I close out on my on my Mad Magazine rant, I also did want to point out another longtime contributor who was Antonio Projas, who was, he was a famous cartoonist in Cuba pre-Castro. Mm-hmm. Like, he had gotten a lot of notoriety in Cuba, uh, but he was not a fan of Castro and left Cuba. And Spy versus Spy, the yeah! story of two spies, Black you know. Black spy and white spy. Yeah, and they're planting bombs and trying to blow each other up and, you know, things of that nature. That was an anti-Castro cartoon. Oh. Just about the future of espionage yep so i have a comedy quiz it's called funny buddies and (laughs) (laughs) so these are famous comedic duos all of the answers Mm. are duos and i'll ask you for either their names or what group they're in i think i have a feeling for one of them (laughs) (laughs) no one one. i'm gonna give you the answer (laughs) it is flight of the concords uh Jermaine and Brett. Brett this McKenzie. Jermaine. And Clement. Jermaine Clement. There the we go. Qu- the question was, this these two was- are New Zealand's fourth most popular guitar-based digibongo acapella rap funk comedy folk duo. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it's fourth All right. most popular. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's out of the way now. <laughs> Just gotta get out of my system. So speaking of vaudeville, this singing duo got their start in a series of road films. Sing- oh. Road? That's uh, Hope and Crosby. Yes. Bob Hope and Ben Crosby. Yes. Yeah. Bob Hope. All the on the road to whatever oh. movies. Yeah. Huh. On the road to Singapore, on the road to oh, On the Road yeah, to Bali. Yeah. yeah. This husband and wife duo starred in the most watched TV show in the US for four of its six seasons. Chris. Oh, is it is it George Burns and Grace Allen? No. Oh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz? Yes. Oh. Yeah. I love Lucy. This comedy duo starred in a mid-90s HBO sketch show, which featured a number of notable alternative comics, including Sarah Silverman, Jack Black, and Tom Kinney. That's uh, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. Yeah, and the show was called... Mr. Show. Yeah, Mr. Show with Bob and David. This comedy rock band has songs including Tribute and The Metal. Name the band and the members. <laughs> uh, that is Tenacious D. Yes. Jack Black. Uh And Kyle Gass. Yes. Very good. What comedic duo made famous the Who's on First sketch? (laughs) That is, of course, Abbott and Costello. Yes. Who's on second? Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who's on third. Who's the shortstop? Uh, I I don't give a damn. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. You're going to get a blue envelope tomorrow, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. All right. So the Wayans family is a sprawling comedic. Oh, oh man. Yes. Yeah, you need like uh, note cards to keep track of all of the Wayans. So which Wayans brothers starred in White Chicks? Oh. Which one was that? It's Sean and Marlon. Yes. Mm. Yes. My Wayans <laughs> trivia is supreme. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this duo made its debut as the musical guest on April 22nd, 1978 on an episode of Saturday Night Live. Mate. Is it the Blues Brothers? It is the Blues Brothers. And who are the Blues Brothers? Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Yes. This duo is known for performing folk songs, which usually lead to arguments between the two siblings in the band. Oh. Who are they? Uh, Is that the the Smothers Brothers? The Smothers Brothers. Oh, of course, yes. And what instruments did they play? Oh, I think uh, it was Dick and Tommy Smothers. I think it was guitar and banjo. Is that right? No. No. One of them Uh, was a banjo, right? No. Is it guitar and... Mandolin. uh, Nope. Oh. Ukulele? Nope. Yo-yo? Is it the yo-yo? <laughs> it's, a, it's a string bass. Oh. Like the big yeah, bass. Yeah, stand-up bass. Yeah. Oh, okay. This duo has written songs including My Wish for Cuba, I've Got Some Apples, and All-American Prophet. Chris. Huh. This is Trey Parker and Matt Stone. It is. Mm, that's oh. right. Oh, I Got Some Apples. It's from South Park. Yeah, that's I right. I Got Some Apples. How right, right, right. <laughs> I, it was All-American Prophet that got it for me, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Book of Mormon? Book yeah. of Mormon. Cool. Good job, you guys. Oh, yeah. good. Hey, Chris. Hey, Karen. Did you get a haircut? No, I got them all cut. 
Oh, man. Well, love it or hate it, the laugh track is indeed a landmark invention in the history of, of entertainment. Yeah. Well, specifically TV, TV yeah. entertainment. And I know, Colin, you are not a fan of the laugh track. I, I would say hate it for me. Yeah, yeah. There's no love it. It just seems like the, the laziest uh, device for storytelling. Mm-hmm. If you need to actually tell people when they're supposed to be laughing. The laugh track is essentially a, a separate soundtrack that contains pre-recorded laughs or ahs and oohs and oh, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and it's added in post-production. Like to simulate the live audience, right? Exactly. And Ooh. of course, some people like Colin have very negative things to say <laughs> uh, about shows that use laugh track. You know, one being, well, I don't need the show to tell me what's funny. If the writing is good enough and it's funny, then I'll naturally laugh. Some feel like the laughs are too exaggerated or cheesy or definitely some say that it sounds really fake. Right. And it is. It is yeah. fake. Sometimes it's confusing. I'm like, why are they laughing? <laughs> like that, that was not very funny. I don't get it. <laughs> In the 50s, when TV comedies became popular, there were a couple of issues. So TV shows recorded in front of a live audience suffered from inconsistency. You can't control the audience reaction mm-hmm. all the time. Right. And so sometimes the audience would laugh way too long and mm. the people who are performing have to wait until they're done laughing right or maybe there was kind of like a joke that was kind of a dud and, 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 and they just don't really <laughs> right. laugh or like it's very sparse or maybe it's funny but like they had to do like six or seven takes because they have having technical problems and mm-hmm. the audience isn't laughing at the joke anymore right or of course there's that one guy who just has like a really loud or annoying <laughs> laugh right so in the 1950s, a man named Charlie Douglas, who is a sound engineer for CBS, started fixing some of these problems that, that I just described. Mm-hmm. He would fade out the long laughs, and then he would mute that one guy, and he would add more laughs to the dud jokes. Okay. And this technique was appropriately called sweetening. Sweetening. Yes. Yeah. Sweetening. Yeah, ju- yeah. yeah a little juice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, it would be starting with a show that was in front of an audience, and mm-hmm. he's kind of just goosing it a little bit, right? Yep. And now, not all TV shows are recorded in front of a, a live studio audience. Some TV shows were filmed single camera style, kind of like movies. So Mm -hmm. there isn't even an audience. It's just the crew and the actors. So what Charlie Douglas did, he would record laughs and or save some of the laughs from the other shows he's sweetening. And he started to build like a little library of Mm. these audience sounds, different types of laughs, different types of like, ah, or oh, or yay, or clapping. Mm -hmm. and Collective reactions. Mm -hmm. And he would use his bank of sounds to create a separate soundtrack for the the single camera shows. Mm. And so this was the first laugh track. He simulated the feeling of a live audience. And this was big business, Mm. huge business. And from the 50s up to the 70s, he was the only dude <laughs> who did this, who nice. knew how to do it, mm. who had the bank of sounds. And so almost every show that had a laugh track, he worked on. He Got had it. a monopoly on this. So by extension, then, it's safe to assume that you would hear the same laughs across yeah. exactly. multiple shows. So, and, and he was a really secretive dude. What he did was essentially... He built an invention that helped him uh, make the laugh track. It's kind of a cross between like a piano or a, a, like a typewriter. Mm. So it's this box mm-hmm. and it has different buttons and levers and pedals as he's mixing sounds or providing the, making the laugh track. He kind of looks like a one man band. Got it. So you can sort of right. semi randomize it. Yeah. And also, you know, maybe some jokes are a little bit uh, more tender and some jokes are like guffaws. Mm-hmm. And he knew exactly how to operate this, this weird machine that he called <laughs> the laugh box. Painting a soundscape. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're right. For 20 years, a lot of the TV shows had the same, not the same laugh track, but definitely the same ingredients. Yeah. Right? The thing is, is laugh box invention used tapes. And after 20 years, these tapes are starting to wear sure. out. Towards the end, you can hear hisses because it's it's not uh, in perfect condition. Why doesn't yeah. he replace them? <laughs> <laughs> so Charlie Douglas was not a man who liked change. Okay. And so during the 70s, the sound technology was kind of advancing. You went from mono to stereo. Uh, and also keep in mind, the taste of American comedy was also shifting. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we're going from the honeymooners to ha, 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 to something, you know, to comedies that are a little bit more realistic. Sure, or a little bit, you sure. Know, the comedy's a little bit more subtle. Competition finally arose when... 
Carol Pratt and his brother got into the game and their laugh track was recorded in stereo. So already kind of ahead of the game. And the laughs, the, the noises were more subdued and more realistic. Right. And, and the perfect example of this is MASH. Mm -hmm. So the medical comedy, where does it take place? Korean War, Korea. right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's like, it's not dark humor. It's, it's more... Mm. It was just more than a... It was not just humor is yeah. the thing. It had, you know, anti-war commentary and mm -hmm. it had heavy issues as well. And drama. Sure. And so it's not like belly laughs and like har, 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 har. A lot of the shows at that time were favoring the Pratt Brothers laugh track over Charlie Douglas's old laugh box. Mm, yeah, I mean, I definitely associate it with bad 80s sitcoms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's funny, as you mentioned, I think about it, yeah, there are some of the shows, I mean, obviously, MASH, they're out and filming outside, there's not going to have a studio audience there. Right, right, I, right. I, I, There was a distinction, I think, between some of those more believable ones in the 70s. Yeah. yeah. I don't like it as a device, but I absolutely know that it is a, an, a real psychological phenomenon that yeah. you will find things funnier if other people around you are laughing. Yeah. And you will, yeah. you're... Your reactions are heightened by those around you. So I believe that it's it has... contagious. It is. It is. And that is a real phenomenon. It'd be cool if they had DVDs of old TV shows and you could take the laugh track out. Like, <laughs> oh, Mash, I didn't like the laugh track on it. It was weird to me. Like, who are the people watching it with me? Like, I, yeah. You're in the middle of a You're war outside. zone. You're outside. You're <laughs> outside. Of course, now we have a variety of shows that have laugh tracks like Big Bang Theory or, or mm -hmm. How I Met Your Mother. And you have shows that absolutely don't have a laugh track and still work, like 30 Rock mm -hmm. or The Office. I mean, yep. The Office was kind of lauded as a really good comedy that doesn't use a right. laugh track to heighten its writing. So next time you watch a show that has a laugh track, just think about how much history well, and thought was put <laughs> yeah. into it. Appreciate it. And there is also, more. I should say, the third group, too, of, of shows that are proudly filmed in front of a live studio oh, audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and they'll, they'll, they'll go out of their way to make sure you know that. Mm. And let's take a break. A word from our sponsor. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. So, Karen, speaking of the old sitcom business, one of the things that producers of sitcoms found was a pretty lucrative way to, you know, reduce some of the risk associated with putting on a brand new television show was to create spinoffs uh, of popular TV shows. Um, and a spinoff is when they take a character that's appeared on a on one show and uh, build out an entire new sitcom based around that character. Sure. Are now, there a lot of them? Sometimes, oh, yeah. it, sometimes it will happen. There are there are a ton of them. And in fact, you're probably watching spinoffs right now that you don't even know are spinoffs. There are frequently. Mm -hmm. I won't give yeah. an example because yeah, I, exactly. I think I might smell where you're going. You, but there you, are some where the spinoffs are more famous than the original. smell a quiz coming up? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, very true. And in fact, sometimes you have what's called a backdoor pilot. So for example, Married with Children, had a little-known spinoff called Top of the Heap, which starred Matt LeBlanc. Uh, really? Yeah, from TV's Friends. And basically what they did was, like, in season five of Married with Children, 
they did a whole show about Charlie and Vinny Verducci, who were yeah. these two characters, friends of the Bundys. I remember those. Yeah, and this was a practically Bundyless episode of the show. And the idea was they would then take this and use it as the pilot for its own oh, series. That yeah. sounds yeah. sneaky. Yeah, well, it's, it is. It's like you say, if you ever see like old shows in syndication and there would be like a whole episode devoted to characters entirely separate, that usually was a backdoor pilot that may or may not have succeeded. That yep. sounds yep. manipulative. So anyway, it's a, it's a spinoff quiz time. Love it. So here we go. Starting with one of the most famous American sitcoms, and, and you guys can all work together on this, Happy Days was itself a spinoff of a an anthology comedy program called Love American Style. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, there were five shows that were direct spinoffs of Happy Days. Five. Five. I'm going to give you two. All right. Okay. Two of them were, one was Out of the Blue, and the other one was Blank Seas Beauties. Don't remember that. Okay, wow. all right. You're giving so, us yeah. the hard ones. I'm all giving right. you the two hard ones. Now there's okay. three yeah. left. I can name. Joni Loves Chachi. Joni okay. Laverne and Shirley. Shirley. Yep. I love this one. This yeah. is great trivia. Mork and Mindy yes, was sir. a spinoff oh, of Happy okay. Days. Yep. They had Mork come down like as an alien. No. Yes, yep. it sounds so bad yep. and so out of the, the yep. fabric of the show, but yeah. What popular sitcom was spun off of All in the Family? Colin? Uh, the most popular was the Jeffersons. It, indeed, yes, it was the Jeffersons. In fact, the, the character of Lionel Jefferson, the son, appears in the first episode of All of the Family before Archie Bunker is even on screen. Mm. The show A Different World was spun off of what sitcom? Uh, I'm going to go with Dana. The Cosby Show. It was spun off of The Cosby Show, yes. Lisa Bonet's character, Denise Huxtable. I was going to ask if you knew which character I even know where she went to school. It was Denise Huxtable going off to college. At Hillman. At Hillman, hanging out with Dwayne Wayne. Where did The Simpsons spin off from? (laughs) Karen. The Tracy Ullman Show. Yes, The Simpsons were shorts, animated shorts on the live-action Tracy Ullman Show. What popular television show was spun off from the popular sitcom Perfect Strangers? Oh, uh, Cousin Larry and Cousin Balky living in Chicago, yeah, and the show yeah. was spun off. Um, it was Steve Urkel. Yeah. It's a family, 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 family matters. matters. Family matters. matters. Yeah. Good group effort on that. Yes, Carl Winslow wasn't he the security guard in the newspaper? Or I think that's right. Oh, that's right. He worked yeah. at an agency. Yeah. Standing yeah. tall <laughs> on the wings of my dream. From what sitcom was Frasier spun off? Karen again. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Yes. So there was a very, very short-lived, I think it was only one episode, called Jack A. Oh, what? darn it. 227. 227, Jack A was also in... Ladybugs. Uh, Tia and Tamara. Yeah. Their sister. But, but her the Jack self, A phenomenon. Self-titled. Took a little while to get going. <laughs> oh, uh, and, and finally, uh, what, what, <laughs> sitcom, what sitcom spawned the, again, short-lived spinoff, The Golden Palace? Oh. Colin. That was what Golden Girls evolved yeah. into. Yes, yes. In which uh, all of them, except B. Arthur, ran a hotel. Yes, <laughs> a resort. And I jumped sharks. I got a question for you guys. All right. Uh, do you guys know who Shenzi, Bonsai, and Ed are? I think only Chris would know that. <laughs> who are they? They're characters from a movie. They, they are, of course, uh, the amazing troupe of, of uh, hyena comedians from The Lion King. Yes. <laughs> Not only are they hyenas, they are specifically spotted hyenas. Mm-hmm. And spotted hyenas are, are very weird animals. Very unique, actually. So we all kind of grew up associating hyenas with laughter yeah like laughing they're, hyenas they're the, the laughing animals kind of both silly and, and also kind of terrifying because they're aggressive animals yeah. that well i was like i was never joker. really clear like is a laughing hyena a type of hyena or or the spotted hyena uh-huh they're often called the laughing hyenas oh, okay because okay. only only the spotted hyenas have that laugh got it mm-hmm. i mean they're interesting because spotted hyenas are special in the way that they emit about a dozen of distinct vocalizations. And they, they really have an impressive range, you know, from like really low bellows to really high-pitched yips. Hmm. You know, lots of different sounds for specific functions, calling the clan together or signaling anger or danger. And zoologists actually have separate names for all of these different sounds. Mm. And my favorite is called a squitter. <laughs> squitter. A squitter is the sound cubs make when they're hungry and they're ready to be nursed and apparently it sounds like a 
awful uh, nails on chalkboard <laughs> uh, screech. Oh. So that is called a squitter. Of course, one of the many noises that Spotted Hyena makes is the laugh or the giggle. And it does kind of sound like a human laughing or giggling or snickering. Like, hee, 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 That was so <laughs> freaky to hear that for it, the first time. It is very freaky, kind of sinister. <laughs> what do you, you have know? planned for me? <laughs> um, but growing up knowing this and after watching, like, The Lion King, like, a bajillion times, like, I actually really believed, yes, hyenas are so funny. They really just laugh. And, and, <laughs> and like, they're telling awesome hyena jokes to each other. I want to hang out with right. those guys. Yeah. Well, obviously, that is not the case. I mean, I wish. I wish yeah. it was true. I wish they were telling each other hyena jokes. Mm -hmm. The giggling is their way to express frustration. Hmm. Oh. Which is really, like, kind of the opposite. Um, hmm. So, especially when there's, like, internal social conflict or especially when they're competing for food, maybe hyena A pulled off a large chunk of flesh and hyena B is like, wait, put that down. I want some, too. And hmm. he'd start giggling. Oh, nervous laughter. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, awkward nervous like, laughter. Like, I really want more meat. Uh -huh. <laughs> you can help me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's the other thing about hyenas, speaking of eating meat and stuff. Well, you know, we've also been taught that they're really great scavengers. Right. right? That's like uh, like vultures or carrion birds. They kind of, like, eat whatever animal carcasses are, are left. Whatever the lions leave behind. Yeah, exactly. From, like, like from the movie. <laughs> Everything I know about nature comes from the lion tank. <laughs> that is not necessarily true, though. I mean, they, they do scavenge, but they actually hunt and kill a large percent of what they eat. Hmm. The reason why maybe people think they're only scavengers is because their digestive system is really amazing. They can eat bones and break it down. Oh, really? So that's why, Whoa. you know, after the lions leave, they leave all the bones and skin that, you know, the lions don't uh... eat. The hyenas are able to process that in their body so they can eat that too. I mean, in addition... Okay to hunting uh, oh and that's why they're kind of like pictured as like scavengers and yeah. lion king because they they're just go. efficient yeah yeah and as you guys know i love learning about weird animal behavior mm -hmm. uh so one of the common facts i stumble across about hyenas and i don't know if you guys ever read this before but i see it all the time is that they're like did you know hyenas are hermaphroditic have you guys ever heard that? No, no, I haven't. People believe that hyenas can be both male and female, mm -hmm. which is crazy because you think hermaphrodite animals, you think like earthworms or right. snails or, or reptiles or yeah. at the yeah, never like a like mammal. And so yeah, the belief is that they can morph from one gender to another when necessary. I mean, this is not true, but hmm. there is evidence that could explain why people thought this. So hyenas exist in a system that favors aggression and they're really competitive. Now the hyena cubs, because they're smaller and they're babies, they can't compete for food because they're they're small. Okay. And so they rely entirely on their mom. So they're actually nursed for a really long time by animal standards because they have to grow mm -hmm. big enough so that Fend the, for themselves. Exactly. And so this is a lot of pressure for the mama hyena. She has to nurse her cubs yeah. and provide milk and feed herself mm. in this hyper-aggressive uh, hyena society. And so what happens is she'll start producing a lot of male hormones that makes her tougher. Huh. And, and the hormones will pass on to her babies to make them tough too. Hmm. But because of the male hormones in her body, she'll start developing male characteristics like mm. uh, her build and, and the fur. And the weirdest thing is that her genitals will start to look <gasps> like male genitalia. Really? And she looks like she has a wiener. Just from the influx of the hormones. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, I'm going to end the segment with that visual. That's it. Okay. <laughs> well, that is or is not a laughing matter, I suppose, depending <laughs> on what you're looking for in the mm. hyena dating scene. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh track. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So I want to paint a little scenario for you guys. Let's say I'm helping one of you move or we're going at Ikea doing some furniture shopping and I'm helping you load something in the back of your car. Mm -hmm. And if I were to say something like, it won't fit in there. It's longer than I thought it would be. <laughs> you might say. That's, that's what, what she said. said. Thank you. I knew oh, I could count yeah. on you guys. I was, like, was going to say. I've them in the trunk or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You should lower the front yeah. seat. No, right, pack wait. the trunk. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what she said. Yeah. Is actually, despite what you may think, has a long, rich history in the, no, in the history of comedy. I, 
I, you know, I might not have believed it either until I started doing some research into this. I mean, and, you know, I remember as a kid even, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, this is certainly not a new type of joke. And I mean, I remember, you know, even in, in the 90s, like on Wayne's World on Saturday Night Live, that would be a very Wayne and Garth type joke. Oh. That's what she said. I think we can all agree, though, that nobody, real or fictional, has done more to popularize <laughs> that's what she said jokes than the character of Michael Scott on yeah. the American show, The Office. I would, I yeah. would agree, yes. And uh, I, this is not just my opinion. I mean, if you do even just a cursory bit of research or news, it's you, you can hardly read about That's What She Said without the author mentioning Michael Scott. That is, that is what has caused its, its resurgence it absolutely in modern has. times. Yes. As you guys probably know, The Office was an import from a British sitcom of the same name, famously created by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. So they brought over a lot from the show. I mean, the setting, they're both in paper companies, and even a lot of the characters. So the Michael Scott character is really an Americanized version of David Brent, who is Ricky Gervais's mm, character right. on The Office. One of the things that you may not realize they brought over was the That's What She Said joke. That's from England. However, <laughs> if you were David Brent, the David yeah. Brent, the British version is... As the actress said to the bishop. Yes. Oh. And that's, that's, that's old. Right. And right? That that's is an super old. old. That's like this, Shakespearean or? Well, it's, it's not quite that old. Okay. But it is, it is at least a hundred years old. It right. is well right. over a hundred years old. The, I'd say it's not as snappy as that's what she said. Well, I would think as it's. As the actress said yeah, to but the it's, bishop. Yeah, but it's, it's more, more British. British. It's yeah. more British. It really is. It's more uh, refined. I like the nice parallel that David Brent character is attributed with reviving the popularity of as the actress said to the oh, bishop in the UK. Wonderful. Because it's just such a hacky joke, and it it is a a stock humor format now. Wow. And there are people who collect dozens and dozens of samples of these. Mm -hmm. The reference, I mean, of what it means, you know, as the actress said to the bishop, there are some people that, well, you know, in the early days of theater, actresses might have to uh, supplement their income through less savory means and then later confess their sins. Mm. It's very colorful. I don't even know that you need to have that history for it to work. No one's sure exactly the first use of it, but the earliest known recording of this type of joke is from 1929 by none other than Alfred Hitchcock. There is a piece of footage of him doing a sound test for a movie called Blackmail. Uh And to make a a somewhat long story short, uh, the the leading lady debating whether to dub in her lines because she had a very heavy accent. So they were doing sound tests with her. There's a snippet of footage where Hitchcock is making her laugh and she keeps turning away from the camera. Mm -hmm. And Hitchcock says, come here, stand in your place. Otherwise, it will not come out right, as the girl said to the soldier. Obviously, a little bit of a variant, as the girl said to the soldier. Yeah, wow. This is clearly the yep. same joke format. Wow. Hmm. So the esteemed Alfred Hitchcock, no right. less, was making he this kind of He still did it humor. in a classy way. He, even Alfred Hitchcock did yeah. it in a very classy way, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this this type of joke is of particular interest to people who study language, really. Oh, yeah. Especially people doing, like, artificial intelligence or computer programs, because computer programs have a really hard time with humor mm-hmm. and sarcasm and double mm-hmm. meanings. So this sounds like the coolest research job ever. There are two researchers at University of Washington who have actually developed a computer program with the goal of teaching it to understand that's what she said jokes. Mm -hmm. They're interested in natural language processing. And so they feed it this huge library of source material. And then they go through the researchers. They assign sexiness values Mm -hmm. to words. They have noun sexiness and verb sexiness. Yeah. Verb sexiness would be, you know, words like, you know, thrust would have a higher sexiness rating than a verb like walk, you know, and you can imagine. They're making a really annoying 13-year-old. So the name of their computer program is Deviant, which stands for double entendre via noun transfer. It's like Elvis. It is like Elvis. It is our spiritual uh, cousin to Elvis. And they say that they finished training it to the point they could have a little bit over 70% success rate. So it could correctly identify 70% of the time things that a human would say, yeah, that's a good, that's what she said joke. Uh, wow. yeah, you know what? I think people use it incorrectly maybe 30% of the time. So maybe it's right on par with, with real humans. So that is the, the wealthy, rich history of that's what she said slash as the actress said to the bishop. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. All right, and we have one final quiz segment. Colin? Yeah, this quiz is called Whatchamacallit. Uh, the quiz is going to be about names for common or everyday or frequently seen things mm. that you may not know the name of. Uh, I think as trivia nerds, we all like these. little twist for you here. Like the word Whatchamacallit itself, every answer has a double letter. So hopefully that's a little bit more of a hint for you. Okay. So okay. every answer, correct answer, <laughs> will have a double letter in it. All right. So I'll all try right. and clue it for you. All right. What do you call the thingy in a bell that strikes against the inside and actually produces the bell sound? Dana. The clapper. It is the clapper. I believe we may have referred to this one on a previous episode. What do you call the little dots over lowercase letter I's and J's? I think that was Karen. Tittles. Tittles, yes. As mentioned by Chris in a previous episode, I think. What do you call the dry outer husk on uh, grains like rice or wheat? Chris. Chaff. It is chaff. Chaff. Yes, as in the expression, separate the wheat from the chaff. How do you spell it? C-H-A-F-F. What do you call the little paper thingies that you stick on the ends of cooked turkey legs or pork chops? Oh, no. There's a name for that? There is an official culinary name for that. Shh. Flaggies. (laughs) Don't overthink it. Just describe them. How this is? How would you describe them? It's a double L. They are called frills. They're called, but it's if you turkey frills and chop frills. Yeah, and this is what I like. Actually, I did a little more research. Another term for these in French is papillote. But that also has a double L. So I'm oh, right. Okay. I'm right whether you want to go English oh, or good. French. Oh, good. Oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> they don't use those anymore. They do use them. Oh, absolutely. They use them in oh. fancy restaurants. All right. He's saying you're not fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Maybe you, maybe you got to go to some fancy restaurants. <laughs> what do you call the loop on a belt right next to the buckle that you run the excess belt through? There's a name. There is an official name for that. I remember double letters in all of these. They're not super tricky. Just think, what does it do? Chris, what does it do? It's function. A loop secure. It's not a loop. It loop is holder. It is the keeper. Huh. That is the official belt term for wow. it. Is that it little is loop is the keeper. Loop. It is it's also a loop, Dana. <laughs> you are right. It yep. is a loop. All right. Last one. Last one. We'll I close win. this out. What do you call the fleshy part around a turkey's neck? And other oh, bird, other birds it. and lizards sometimes have this as well. Chris, yeah. the wattle. It yeah. is the wattle. W a t t l e. And again, in doing a little bit of digging, I found out there is another name for this that also has a double letter. It is the snood. 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 Yes. Whoa. Like the video the game. game. The same word. Huh. Uh, there's also uh, like a piece of clothing you can call a snood. Huh. But yeah, so the wattle or the snood. There you go. Whatchamacallit. Nice. Very good. And that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. I uh, hope you learn a lot about... Man, we talked about a lot of stuff. We did. About hyena, genitalia, mm-hmm. and Mad Magazine, vaudeville. That's what she said. Comedy duos. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on SoundCloud. And also on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And check out our sponsors at bonobos.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 all trivia nerds Brittany here and i host the family road trip trivia podcast with my best friend meredith is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest 
We've got The Cure, three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. (laughs) New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast.